From the depths of our nightmares to the haunting of the witching hour. We present to you Crazy Hexy Ghoul. I'm Kelly. And I'm Arlo. So come and join us as we obsess over ghosties and shit. Did you just say ghosties and shit? Hell yeah, I did. You guys, shit's about to get real. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast. We're going to take it kind of easy this week. Let's move into story time. I want story time. You want story time. The people want story time. Do you mind if I go first? Um, Please go first. Okay. My first story is from Our Scary Stories. Mm -hmm. The username is MaliaGirl1314. Um, This was posted about a year ago. The title is called I Should Have Read the Reviews. My girlfriend moved out three weeks ago. My cat, Ruck, was really close to her, and now that she's gone, I can tell he's a bit lonely, especially when I'm at work. I came home a few times to my curtains ripped up or all the toilet paper in shreds. The last straw was when I came home after working late to find he had clawed a hole the size of a dinner plate into the side of the sofa. I decided I had to do something. I tried different toys, even catnip, but nothing worked. One night, while browsing Amazon, I saw a pet camera. It's a tiny camera that records your pet on a live feed so you can monitor their behavior while you're away. It even has an audio function so you can talk to them. Sounded silly, but hey, I love my furry dude, so I bought it. I got overnight shipping and installed it immediately. I decided to set it up in my bedroom, and that was where Rook dwelt most. My first day at work, I think I checked the camera 30 times. When I spoke into the microphone, Rook seemed to be happier, and I noticed there was no destruction around the house either. By day four, I figured I'd solve the problem with Rook. That leads me to right now. About 30 minutes ago, I climbed into bed with Rook, ready to close my eyes, when my phone buzzed. A notification from the pit cam. I almost ignored it. Sure, I just triggered the thing, but I opened it anyway. What I saw made my grip tighten on the phone. Instead of a video of myself in bed, I saw a man, tall, gangly, with pale skin and large eyes. He was moving into my room with exaggerated steps, like a sneaking cartoon character. He got right up to the lens, so close I could almost smell his rotten breath, and he smiled. I immediately paused the video, terrified. I looked where the man should have been standing, but there was no one there. I went onto Amazon, found the pet cam, and read the reviews, hoping there was some weird glitch. It had to be a joke, right? The first dozen reviews were pretty standard, but it was the last that caused me to bolt upright. The customer complained that the camera was on a time delay, sometimes as much as 15 minutes. I went back to the video and pressed play with my shaky fingers. I watched in horror as the man slithered underneath my bed, giving the camera a wink before disappearing in the darkness. Then I saw myself enter the room, climbed in bed before the video ended. Now I'm sitting in my bed knowing he's under it. I could call the police, but I doubt I have time. So please, do yourself a favor and read the reviews. Okay, so this is a creepypasta, right? Not that I know of. It's just on our short stories. Okay, um, so I mean, it could it, have been made up? It could have been possibly. made up. Yeah. I mean, it's a stranger on the internet. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's a big possibility, but who knows? That was a good one. That was creepy. Yeah, that was creepy. Man, I think you should be a professional storyteller because... I would love to. 
I always become so engaged in your stories and that one was great. But I have so many questions about that story that I need answers to. Maybe I don't want to know the answers to, but I kind of like impulsively like, need to know. What happened afterwards? Did they what the happened? Did well, the, the guy per- get caught? What if that was the guy that wrote Gross. that story? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it too. <laughs> so much. So this one I found on Quora. This one is from Lance Stevenson. About seven years ago, I got an invitation to attend my cousin's dinner party. I have never seen my cousin before and only spoke to him on the phone. I was surprised that his family unexpectedly invited me after all these years. The invitation had been an uncharted address that the GPS was unfamiliar with. I used a map and pinned its location. As I'm driving, I tend to notice how far I venture off from civilization. Trees after trees, farms after farms, where the fuck am I going? I finally found a similar address that might be it. Approaching the house, I noticed how dull and dreary it looks. It's completely engulfed with leaves and branches. This can't be it, I said to myself. As soon as I entered the rocky driveway, my aunt and uncle came out to greet me. They seemed excited and welcoming. Walking into the house, I asked where my cousin is. Answering immediately, he went to run a few errands. He should be back later. We spent the whole couple hours talking about my mother and my family. My aunt made some delicious homemade pot roast that I finished off in minutes. After dinner, we played an enduring game of Uno. It was surprisingly fun and competitive. When we finished Uno, it was almost dark and still no sign of my cousin. Regardless, I had to leave. It was almost dark and I would have trouble getting out of this dreadful place. My GPS was ineffective, so I asked my aunt and uncle the most efficient way onto the highway. They gave me a puzzled look. I thought you were staying the night. I told them I couldn't because I had work tomorrow, and I couldn't afford to miss another day. It's much better if you leave tomorrow morning. Trust me, you'll get lost. I shrugged it off and told them not to worry. I'm an adept driver. I could get out of the Sahara Desert. Looking aggravated, they strongly advised me to stay the night for my own safety. At this point, I was getting pissed and irritable. I sighed, fine, I'll stay the night, but I have to get up early for work. Both of them seemed strangely ecstatic that I was staying the night. As soon as they went to go get my bed sheets and pillows, I ran out of the door and got to my car. I hastily pulled out of the driveway. It took me a while, but I found my way out of that depressing place. I got home an hour later than expected. It was 11, and I didn't want to wake up my parents. Climbing my fence and entering the back door, I noticed the kitchen lights were on. As soon as I took my first steps into the door, I see my mom sitting there looking impatient. Where were you? she asked. I was at Aunt Deborah's. You knew this. Then why did she call, saying, you never arrived? Till this day, I never knew who I visited. Whoa. I kind of felt like that's where the story was going. Yeah. Um, but who were these people and what? Whoa, 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 whoa. I would have noped out of there real quick. Yeah, lots of unanswered questions. A lot. A like, lot, yeah. why did they just go along with it? What mm-hmm. the, were they planning on doing when he stayed there? No idea. Creepy. Yeah. That's very creepy. It sounds like he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Following his intuition. Right. You know, and getting the fuck out of there. Ugh, that's like my worst nightmare. Okay. Like visiting family I don't remember or haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Something like that happening. It's not really them. Ugh. Yeah. So I actually got this one off of Cora too. This story comes from Michael Maccabee. 
I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. McCabe. Um, he's a paramedic. Uh, he's been a paramedic for a long time, it seems. And somebody asked, have you ever felt the ghost of a dead person in the hospital room you were staying at while you were hospitalized? He answers, well, I have to preface this by saying that I don't really believe in ghosts, the afterlife, or the idea of an immortal soul. It's not scary, but it's enough to shake the faith of a person who purports to have no faith. I'm a fly car paramedic in rural northwestern Pennsylvania. Instead of riding in an ambulance, I respond in an SUV and assist the basic life support ambulances operated by volunteer fire departments. Late one evening, back in the early 1990s, I was dispatched to assist one of those departments with a cardiac arrest. They arrived on scene several minutes before I did and reported they were working a full arrest and asked me to expedite my response. It was a witnessed arrest with bystander CPR. The brand new, back then, AED had detected a shockable rhythm. These are all good indications that a successful resuscitation is possible. This particular location was just under an hour from the nearest hospital, and I went into the house carrying every piece of equipment that I might need. Monitor, defibrillator, airway kit, drug box, oxygen duffel, portable suction, and a handheld radio. A well-dressed elderly man opened the door for me as I stepped onto the porch and held open the self-closing screen door as I entered. He had on dress slacks, a yellow sweater vest, and a colorful tie. He thanked me for coming so quickly. Good CPR was in progress as I entered the house. The AED was connected to the patient and operating. I knelt to start an IV, taped it securely, and handed the IV bag off to a firefighter. One milligram epinephrine was administered followed by 75 milligrams of lidocaine HCL. At this point, the AED spoke up. Stand clear, analyze, shock advised. The rising tone as capacitators charged warned firefighters to get clear and stay clear. Press to shock. The operator looked around and shouted clear and pressed the button. 360 joules of electrical energy surged through the adhesive pads and the woman convulsed violently as every muscle in her body contracted. A few milliseconds after the shock, her heart rhythm changed from FETAC to a normal sinus rhythm. For once, the damn thing worked as advertised. Perfusion restored, blood pressure rose, and the woman's central nervous system rebooted. She coughed and expelled the oral airways that firefighters had placed in her mouth to keep the tongue from falling back into the oropharynx. She took a deep breath and started to come around. Quickly, we restrained her to prevent her from pulling out her IV. A second line was established in her other arm and we started a lidocaine drip. Semi-conscious, she struggled against the restraints and complained of chest pain. A firefighter arrived with a backboard and we scooped her onto the stretcher and headed for the hospital, priority one. An hour later, she was in the cath lab getting three stents during a successful angioplasty. A remarkable evening, since successful out-of-hospital resuscitations are extremely rare. Mm -hmm. The long ride home was interrupted by a call from dispatch. We had left several pieces of equipment, including my radio, at the residence and the family wanted us to pick it up so that they could leave and be with a patient at the hospital. When we arrived at the residence, a young woman thanked us for our response and exclaimed that she had no idea how we brought so much equipment into the home so quickly. I answered that we couldn't have done it without the help of the family. The bystander CPR made a real difference and so did the gentleman who helped me in the door with all my gear. 
Who do you mean? The older gentleman. I pointed to a family photograph on the piano. That's my grandfather, and he's been dead for 15 years. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, man, I got <laughs> I know, me too. Telling that story. I had found this story a while back. I wanted to tell it on one of our episodes, but we just didn't have time for it. Yeah. And I'm glad I got to tell it. But yeah. that, was a good one. that was a really good Definitely one. makes you think, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. it kind of makes you a believer. Oh, that's so ah. Okay, this story is called mm-hmm. I'm a search and rescue officer for the U.S. Forest Service, and I have some stories to tell. Ooh, sounds good. This is part one. I wasn't sure where else to put these stories, so I figured I'd share them here. I've been a SAR, or search and rescue officer, for a few years now. And along the way, I've seen some things that I think you guys will be interested in. I have a pretty good track record for finding missing people. Most of the time, they just wander off the path or just slip down a small cliff and they can't find their way back. The majority of them have heard the old stay where you are thing, and they don't wander far. But I've had two cases where that didn't happen. Both bother me a lot, and I use them as motivation to search even harder on the missing person cases I get called on. The first was a little boy who was out berry picking with his parents. He and his sister were together, and both of them went missing around the same time. Their parents lost sight of them for a few seconds, and in that time, both the kids apparently wandered off. When their parents couldn't find them, they called us, and we came out to search the area. We found the daughter pretty quickly. And when we asked where her brother was, she told us that he had been taken away by the bear man. She said he gave her berries and told her to stay quiet and that he wanted to play with her brother for a little while. The last she saw of her brother, he was riding on the shoulders of the bear man and seemed calm. Of course, our first thought was abduction, but we never found a trace of any other human being in that area. The little girl was also insistent that he wasn't a normal man, but he was tall and covered in hair like a bear, and that he had a weird face. We searched that area for weeks. It was one of the longest calls I'd been on, but we never found a single trace of that kid. Other was a young woman who was out hiking with her mother and grandpa. According to her mother, the daughter had climbed up a tree to get a better view of the forest. She never came back down. They waited at the base of the tree for hours, calling her name, before they called for help. Again, we searched everywhere. We never found a trace of her. I have no idea where she could have possibly gone, because neither her mom or grandpa saw her come down. Ooh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. A few times, I'd been out on my own searching with a canine, and they've tried to lead me straight up cliffs. Not hills, not even rock faces. Straight, sheer cliffs, with no possible handholds. It's always baffling, and in those cases, we usually find the person on the other side of the cliff or miles away from where the canine has led us. I'm sure there's an explanation, but it's sort of strange. One particularly sad case involved the recovery of a body. A nine-year-old girl fell down an embankment and got impaled on a dead tree at the base. It was a complete freak accident, but I'll never forget the sound her mother made when we told her what happened. She saw the body bag being loaded into the ambulance, and she let out the most haunting, heartbroken wail I'd ever heard. It was like her whole life was crashing down around her, and part of her had died with her daughter. I remember from another SAR officer that she killed herself a few weeks after it happened. She couldn't live with the loss of her daughter. I don't know if I could either. (laughs) Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. I was teamed up with another SAR officer because we received reports of bears in the area. We were looking for a guy who hadn't come down home from a climbing trip when he was supposed to. 
we ended up having to do some serious climbing to get where we figured he'd be. We found him trapped in a small crevasse with a broken leg. It was not pleasant. He had been there for almost two days, and his leg was very obviously infected. We were able to get him into the chopper, and I heard one of the EMTs say the guy was absolutely inconsolable. He kept talking about how he'd been doing fine, and when he got to the top, a man had been there. He said the guy had no climbing equipment, and he was wearing a parka and ski pants. He walked up to the guy, and when the guy turned around, he said he had no face. It was just blank. He freaked out and ended up trying to get off the mountain too fast, which is why he'd fallen. He said he could hear the guy all night climbing down the mountain, letting out these horrible, muffled screams. That story bothered the hell out of me. I'm glad I wasn't there to hear it. Um, no fucking thank you. Yeah. One of the scariest things I'd ever had happen to me involved the search for a young woman who had gotten separated from her hiking group. We were out until late at night because the dogs had picked up her scent. When we found her, she was curled up under a large, rotted log. She was missing her shoes and pack, and she was clearly in shock. She didn't have any injuries, and we were able to get her to walk with us back to base ops. Along the way, she kept looking behind us, asking us why that big man with black eyes was following us. We couldn't see anyone, so we just wrote it off as some weird symptom of shock. But the closer we got to the base, the more agitated this woman got. She kept asking me to tell him to stop making faces at her. And at one point, she stopped, turned around, and started yelling into the forest, saying she wanted him to leave her alone. She wasn't going to go with him, she said, and she wouldn't give us to him. We finally got her to keep moving, but we started hearing these weird noises coming from all around us. It was almost like coughing, but more rhythmic and deeper. It was almost insect-like. I don't really know how else to describe it. When we were there, within the sight of the base ops, the woman turned to me and her eyes are about as wide as I can imagine a human could open them. She touched my shoulder and said, He says to tell you to speed up. He doesn't like looking at that scar on your neck. I have a very small scar at the base of my neck, but it's mostly hidden under my collar, and I have no idea how this woman saw it. Right after she said it, I heard the weird coughing right in my ear, and I just about jumped out of my skin. I hustled her to ops, trying not to show how freaked out I was, but I have to say I was really happy when we left that area that night. This last one, I'll tell you, is probably the weirdest story I have. Now, I don't know if this is true in every SAR unit, but in mine, it's sort of an unspoken, regular thing we run into. You can try asking about it with other SAR officers, but even if they know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it. We've been told not to talk about it by our superiors, and at this point, we've all gotten so used to it that it doesn't seem weird anymore. On just about every case that we were really far into the wilderness, and I'm talking about 30 or 40 miles, at some point, we'll find a staircase in the middle of the woods. It's almost like if you took the stairs in your house, cut them out, and put them in the forest. I asked about it the first time I saw some, and the other officer just told me not to worry about it, that it was normal. Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to go check them out, but I was told very emphatically that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now, so when I run into them, because it happens so frequently. 
Please. We truly don't know what our audience is really feeling about our podcast. We're just blindly moving forward, Mm -hmm. you know, just keeping on. But you know what's crazy? I was looking back on our RSS feed. The very first episode we ever released, it's coming up August 2021. Oh, damn. The podcast hasn't even been alive a year yet. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, it feels like five years. It does. Not a year, Mm -hmm. but five. I think the last (laughs) couple years has been just bonkers yeah and it like just soul makes sucking it. time sucking yeah. sucking yeah. in general uh-huh. yeah, just sucking <laughs> sucking the lives out of little children yep i do have another one this one's a little light-hearted but um kind of what i would call like serendipitous it kind of reminds me of that movie, like from the 90s, Serendipity, with uh, John Cusack. Have you ever seen it? Nope. <laughs> uh, well, watch it if you want to. It's kind of like an interesting story. It's about serendipity. Okay. It is what it is. It is whatever. Um, <laughs> so this story comes from This American Life on NPR. Have you ever listened to This American Life? Uh, I don't think so. It's damn good. It's about people from This American Life, you know? Yeah. Paul and Esther Grashen, I don't know if I'm saying this right, it's G-R-A-C-H-A-N, Grashen. Probably Grashen. Grashen. They had only been seeing each other a short amount of time when Paul decided he wanted to ask Esther to be his girlfriend. While out for lunch that day, Paul was paying for his lunch when he noticed that on the back of the dollar bill he was about to hand the cashier He thought that that was strange that this should happen when he was thinking about their relationship. And so he decided to keep the bill and frame it for later, and he gave it to Esther as a gift. When Esther saw the framed dollar with her name on it, she was speechless. After years of dating and then getting engaged and finally getting married, the framed dollar bill had resurfaced. Esther then confessed to writing her name on that very dollar. After a breakup, she decided to write her name on a few bills and she said to herself at the time that she would marry the man that brought it back to her. (gasps) She didn't tell him sooner because she was worried that it would scare him off and she knew in that moment that Paul was the one. She married that motherfucker. That's so sweet. Over a dollar bill. It's just like Serendipity the movie because they meet each other in some weird, you know, meet cute situation. Yeah. And she's like, we're going to leave it up to fight. And she's like, I'm going to write my name on this dollar. Or he's like, I'm going to write my name on this dollar bill. And then later down in the line, she finds that dollar bill with his number on it and calls him. Oh, my God. And then they fall in love and they get married forever. That's super In the 90s, cute. at least. Yeah. You I should watch that. Serendipity. Man. Yeah, you go. Okay. Adorable. I do have one more. Um, I know you're really hungry. Let me just see real quick about the story. It's in my phone. Can I go ahead and tell you the story real quick so you can yeah. eat your food? Yeah. Thank you for being so patient with me. Sorry, I'm on a, kind of a time crunch today. <laughs> it's okay. Um, watch this be the this best episode we've ever done. <laughs> I say This is the l- episode that gets us noticed by some big wig or whatever. <laughs> Want to say hi to everyone? No? Okay. Mittens is like, no, bitch, no. Yeah. So this one comes from Cora, and it says, what is the most scary paranormal or ghostly experience, if any, you have witnessed directly? And Belinda Cornejo comments, I used to live next door to my 89-year-old landlady, who was a lovely woman. Every afternoon at around 5 p.m., she would be out in her beloved garden sweeping the leaves from the walkway with a stick broom that could be heard from my house. One evening, I arrived to find her sitting in her garden, broom in hand, weeping. 
I sat beside her, took her hand, and asked her what was wrong. Just realized, she said, that soon I'm going to die and I can't take my garden with me. Don't you worry, I said. I am certain that a part of you will remain in this garden forever. She passed a couple of weeks later, and for months, every afternoon at 5 p.m., I could still hear the sound of her sweeping. That it's, it's sweet and weird at the same time. But someone commented on that story, another user, saying, I hope you cared for her garden. And then she commented, I did for as long as I still lived there, but her children, who inherited the place, asked me to leave a few months later. Later, I heard that they had destroyed most of the garden to build more rental units, and that made me sad. Oh, it would sad. fucking make me sad, too. Piece of shit grandkids, yeah. children. Fuck you, man. Exactly. Yeah, you tell them, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, you wrong for that. You wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is probably the shortest episode that we have done, but you know what? It was a good one. Yes. Strong, powerful, good, and great. Mm -hmm. You guys, if you want us to discuss any kind of stories, anything, you want to tell us your stories. If you want us to talk about a certain topic, yeah. I mean, we're open books. We are willing to discuss anything to a degree, I guess, within reason. Uh, Contact us at crazyhexyghoul at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our DMs. Again, thank you guys for listening. Um, It's been great and lovely. Bye. Bye. Oh my god, we weren't recording any of that. What, really? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You scared the shit out of me. I am so sorry. (laughs) Bye, you guys. The music in this podcast is by the band, The Daddios. This is Kelly. And I'm Arlo. And you're listening to Crazy Hexy Ghoul. We'll see you next time. Is this it? Is this the end? Bye. Mm-hmm.